The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about privacy and, and financial services, and we happen to have a guest that I, I actually spoke with him back in the 90s when he worked for so many years for the San Jose Mercury News, and he interviewed me. So now the tables are turned. He is no longer a writer and a journalist for the San Jose Mercury News, writing finance and identity theft and all that good stuff. He is doing some wonderful work at Javelin Strategy. So let me tell you a little bit about him, and then we'll start talking. We're thrilled to have him. Mark Schwanhauser is the director of multi-channel financial services at Javelin Strategy and Research. He has done a tremendous amount of work with the financial services, helping banks and credit unions profitably enable customers to monitor and manage their money much more smartly through technology such as online banking, mobile banking, personal finance management tools, and financial alerts. And as I said before, joining Javelin in 2008, Mark worked for nearly 26 years for the San Jose Mercury News, and he wrote about personal finance, and he talked about money, emerging trends in financial services, and payment technology. So he's always really been up on the forefront of all this. And he wrote his first uh, article about identity fraud back in the 1990s as part of his coverage of topics of particular interest to Silicon Valley, where he is. And his writing earned him awards from the ICI Educational Foundation and the Certified Financial Planner Board of Standards. His work also contributed to a record eight consecutive staff awards from the Society of American Business Editors and Writers, And I remember whenever something exciting would come out or I needed him to really look at some issues and bring it to the forefront for consumers and his readers, he was always wonderful. So although I'm happy for him that he's doing this new exciting job, I also really miss him at the San Jose Mercury News. So without further ado, thanks so much, Mark. We're so thrilled to have you join us today. It's it's a great great opportunity to be with you, and I appreciate the, the chance to be with your guests. Yes. So let's talk a little bit about um, Javelin. First of all, we've we've had people from Javelin on the show because they've done identity theft pro, uh, research. But let's just talk a little bit just to get a, an overview for those listeners who don't know anything about Javelin. Can you just say just a little bit about Javelin strategy? 
Sure. Yeah, what, what Javelin tries to do is to listen to the voice of the consumer and to represent to uh, the financial services industry what consumers are thinking about in regard to their money. And in particular, we're looking at things that are focused on, in my case, um, how you actually interact with your money through your financial institution, uh, so things like online banking and mobile banking and uh, uh, financial alerts and the like. Uh, but we also look at risk, fraud, and security, at emerging payments uh, and technology, as well as mobile, um, everything from mobile banking to mobile payments. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about security risk and fraud at, at our banks and our credit unions. Let's kind of do a little bit of an overview of that. Well, I think one of the things that you you see with the banking industry is that this is a hot topic for them. It's a critical topic for them. It's It's not only... Um, something that the regulators force them to think about. It's something that their customers care about, and it's something that really matters to their bottom line. So it is not a topic uh, that they give um, uh, no thought to. They give a lot of thought to it. Uh, they're continually trying to figure out how to react to the uh, the latest crooks efforts. Um, crooks are always out there saying, okay, if this door is blocked, if they figured out how to uh, wall this one up, then I'm going to go try this other method. So there's always a reactive approach to this. But one of the things that uh, I have a hunch we don't want to talk about this uh, throughout the, the program is one of the things that's changing is that and needs to change is that the financial institutions need to think about how can we involve the customer in uh, detection and prevention of, of fraud. Um, what's the role? Uh, should it be a paternalistic relationship where we try to look out for the customer and do all this stuff because the customer's not smart enough or doesn't have the inclination or doesn't want to have a role in this? Or should do the customers actually want to play a role? Our data would show that consumers truly do want to play a role in safeguarding their accounts uh, and that the technology, things like online banking, mobile banking, can move us away from paper and actually make us safer. Uh, and that's the direction that we need to move in, is to engaging the customer, giving them control. You know, that's really important. I know that um, people do want to be empowered to protect themselves, but I think what happens often with banks and with credit unions is they don't make it simple. You know, those of us who are, you know, working in another field and not technology, you know, whether they're doctors, lawyers, whatever, it is really hard to to be able to figure out a lot of this stuff if it's hard to use. And so it has to be user-friendly. I know for me with my bank, um, I do online banking, but I'm very, very careful. I have set up alerts so that... Anytime there's an electronic transfer, I get an email right away so I can look in and see if that is something that I did or if that's something that maybe a fraudster did. So there are things to do, but it has to be really simple. And I agree with you that, you know, some things are um, going to be protective, more protective. If you're doing online banking, you can see what's going on with your account all the time and you can set up those alerts. But uh, if it's not really easy, you know, you can't expect consumers and customers to protect themselves if if they can't figure it out. So I think that's right. a think huge that's, issue. I, th I think you, you have hit on an important piece of this. In fact, one of the things that you'll hear from, from me in particular is talking about the potential of financial alerts, that uh, potentially they have the ability to keep you up to date on where your money stands and what's moving in and out of your accounts um, within seconds of a purchase so that you can actually spot something that's uh, amiss 
um, before the the bank can in some cases. Uh, but one of the things that I've I've spotlighted is that the two often um, they're difficult to find. They're not practical enough. They're not simple enough to use. So there there are seven um, fatal flaws to today's uh, alerts, and they need to be improved on. But uh, the direction of where things are going is that you are seeing improvement here. One of the things that I think um, we are encouraging uh, the industry to think about is how to just introduce uh, security alerts to the customer and not make them have to sign up for them. How to make it easy for the customer to uh, adjust those alerts so that you know when you first go into online banking and set them up, you kind of have to say, well, I want to set these parameters. But maybe you set them wrong. Most of us do. So then how difficult is it to go in and change those parameters? Um, It's got to be something that can be done on the fly. Uh, And in the best of all worlds, you actually would get an alert on your mobile phone or in your online banking, and you would be able to respond to it right then and there. You don't have to go through another step or two to get there. So I agree with you completely that uh, that, that with technology, the allure is the, the thing that gets us going and gets us excited but if it's practically imperfect, if it's um, a hassle, um, if it's not executed well, if it's not marketed so that somebody knows that it exists, um, if it's not clearly stated how this could be helpful to them, um, then it's not going to work effectively. Consumers aren't going to adopt it. Um, it's going to be catch as catch can. And I think that's where we are as an industry is saying we recognize the value of these. Consumers recognize the value of them. Now we've got to make it um so simple, it can't be messed up. Yeah, and and what I worry about, Mark, is you know hearing the complaints from consumers and identity theft victims is that okay? So if they have these alerts and they don't use them, then the bank will say, well, if you don't use them, then we're not going to help you. You know, then you're not going to get your money back, or you know, you should have done this, and so we're going to hold you to that. And I think that's the danger is when they put too much, um, you know. Uh, fault on the consumer when it's very when it's not so easy to use like you were saying so i think that's a little bit of a danger as well is that expectation well we've done it now if you don't do it we don't have any liability and so that that is a little bit of a concern that i have but um, i would downplay that one uh, I, I would think that that would be a, that's a lower concern for me um because i think in, in many cases what banks are doing is trying to encourage the online encourage the mobile use uh, and encourage the use of debit cards and the like uh, and credit cards. So what you've actually seen is uh, a move towards assuring customers that the liability uh, that is covered, the zero liability policies. And one of the downsides of a zero liability policy, frankly, is that the consumer then thinks, well, the, the bank's going to cover me no matter what. So you could actually see consumers getting sloppy um, and doing things that they wouldn't do if they realized the kind of risks that they were taking. So there's a there's a tension there between um, what you're talking about and and the the challenge of trying to cover the consumer to encourage them to use it, but without encouraging uh, risky behavior. Right. We don't want to have carelessness. But on the other hand, like for debit cards, just the fact that you use a debit card makes it so dangerous. You know, because a debit card can be used online by phone, by fax, without a pin. And the debit card, um, the money comes immediately out of your account. 
And I have had so many victims of identity theft with electronic funds transfers and debit cards. I cannot tell you, even now, I mean, every day I hear from people that they that there's a zero liability and then they go in and, and then the bank will initially give them back their money. And then two weeks later said, you know what? We don't think that this is really uh, a fraud. We think they're this, you really did this. And so now we're taking the money out again. So I think that zero liability policy, unfortunately, has been um, given false security to people because then once they say, okay, this is this is fraud, I didn't do this, and the money is given back for a few days, and then suddenly it's it's taken out again, and of course, every other other checks are bouncing for, for their bills and their tuition. So, <laughs> you know, there is there are some companies that are better than others, but I think that is something that... Um, that has to be looked at. And I'm, I'm not really trying to argue with you because I, I am one who uses online banking. I am one who uses those alerts. So I do think you're right. There's that tension. On one hand, you have to really um, be responsible as you can to, to learn how to protect yourself. But on the other hand, the promises that are made really should be enforced. And I can tell you that they're not always enforced from the people that contact me or you look online for comp complaints against different banks and you will see that um it those promises are not always kept so right i um, I, I don't think we're, we're disagreeing at all actually i think we're, we're just sort of framing the, the 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 different sides of things and how it's it's not a cookie cutting answer one way or the other uh, but i would think that one of the things that you and i clearly are agreeing on is that there is a role here for the technology uh with things like alerts that if you could get uh notification within seconds of a swipe uh, that a transaction had occurred, or if you had the opportunity to to block transactions, um, particularly in an online purchase kind of a, a format where you're not standing in line, clogging up a line, uh, you know, with everybody waiting, including yourself, that that would be the kind of technology that could thwart uh, many cases of fraud, um, or at least stop the next case from occurring. You know, the, 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 so there's opportunities here. I think where we have to balance. Um, the the kinds of technology concerns that we've got with the potential to improve things through the use of technology. Right. So, so you know we have to embrace it, but we have to be anxious about it as well. Yes, and that's so true. And and the other thing is, whenever these new technologies are created, we really have to look at the privacy impact as well. And you, you know, you may be familiar with Federal Trade Commission and the and um, the the. Um, the idea of privacy by design, where any new technology looks right at the architecture of this product or this service right from the get-go to see if there is the privacy protections built into it. So there's a lot to do when you create new technology, and you're right up there in the Silicon Valley, right? So you, you uh, get to see all this stuff. Right. One of the, the things that I think you're referring to is the, the explosion of financial uh, mobile apps for your iPhone for your Android phones, um, and, and I guess a few for the dwindling number of people carrying around uh, Blackberries. But uh, you know these these things have become quickly um, things that we can't live without. You know it was only a few years ago when we really felt that consumers were reluctant to download things onto their phone. You know that that was something they said, "Why would I want to do that? I'm I'm nervous about that." Since the advent of the iPhone. Uh, you know that attitude has just turned around, and it's it's uh, uh, you know it, you wouldn't own an iPhone unless you would plan to download these apps. But when you do, you know there's 
as helpful as they can be. There are issues involved with them, with the, the privacy. And, and one of the things that I uh, admire and, and see great value in with the, the potential of these, these apps is they can help us do things uh, like shop more smartly or communicate with people or uh, find better deals and things like that. But at the same time, the way they're doing that is by using information and data. Um, that as long as you're getting the, uh, as a consumer, as long as you're getting the deal that you thought you were getting, I'm fine with that. Um, but if you're surprised that somebody is tracking the whereabouts of your phone in order to give you uh, turn-by-turn directions or is tracking your location in order to give you a, a coupon when you're near your local grocery store or your local uh, mall, um, if you're surprised by the use of this information, then that means that either one, you weren't paying attention or thinking it through, or, and this is where I would put the big emphasis on the or, the app developers could have done a much better job of saying, in order for us to make this uh, type of experience work for you, we're going to tap into your contact list so that you won't have to go through seven steps to contact one of your friends or to know where they are. Or in order to know where you are to give you turn-by-turn directions, we're going to have to triangulate based on where your phone is. So we're going to track your, your phone. Uh, you know, but there are ways to be more explicit about how the information will be used so that the consumer isn't surprised. Um, I, I don't have that many conspiracy fears about how this information is going to be used, but the reality is that information can develop a very intimate profile of a customer, of a consumer, what they shop for, what, how, what kind of cards they use, um, you know, what their uh, daily life is like. And if that concerns you, then you need to be thinking about what these apps are doing for you. And the apps need to be uh, as transparent as they can be. And right now, I think they're still in the, uh, the world of, uh, let's just rely on 42 screens full of uh, uh, legalese um, and, and not trying to say, here's what we're going to use this for, here's how it'll work, and let's be upfront with the customer. So I think that's one of the the big picture concerns that I've, I have and which I have seen reflected in, unfortunately, many occasions now in Congress yes. um, as, as this has come up. And, and the other thing is, is that maybe they need to be educated. You know, I had on Senator Simidian on my show, and he was talking about actually meeting, having meetings with some of these app developers, kind of talking to them about when they are in their garage doing this, that they need to be cognizant. Maybe you can have all these fun things, but um, but talk about how they can protect that information if they're going to get into your contacts or how how you can easily turn off that GPS if you need, you know, if you want that privacy. So mm-hmm. I think it's not just all or nothing. And I think the reason these app developers don't want to tell them that much is because then they won't use the product. They'll get scared. So instead, why not build in those privacy protections and give people an easy way to protect themselves as well as use these um, innovative ideas to to make their lives easier? So that's kind of that whole idea of building right into the architecture instead of us having to decide all or nothing. Do you know what I mean? Right. I think that's one of the the, the frustrations that some people have with these apps uh, you know, you sign up to, to get the cartoon of the day, uh, uh, and it says, uh, but by the way, we're going to need your geolocation. Well, why? Why do you need to know yeah. where I am <laughs> reading the cartoon? The, I think what you've alluded to, though, is, is, is dead on, which is the, the, the fear 
that if you ask people too many questions, if you make too many disclosures, they're not going to want to use the app. It's going to reduce the adoption for the, the, the app. And I think that's, uh, they're dead on true. You know, the more people start to think about things, the more they'll be hesitant and say, well, you know, maybe I really don't need the cartoon of the day. Right, right. But, but as a result, then, I think what has happened in Silicon Valley in particular, there is a, uh, a sense of uh, an attitude of opt out. Uh, let's just put this in front of the consumer, and if they don't like it, they can opt out. Or if they don't like it, they can just not use the app. Um, which is an all-or-nothing approach that is is um, incredibly frustrating for for customers who yeah, and don't I don't know why they why. can't. You know, it, to me, adding privacy is value added, and so if they can give you some of the wonderful opportunities and and build in privacy, I think it's going to be. I think it should be a value added. I think you know I would pay extra for that. Instead, do you know what I mean? Well, that's maybe me, but I think people when they start to think about that. Um, well, this is the extra value you get with using our app because we are protecting your privacy. At the same time, we're giving you this wonderful opportunity, and and we're not collecting things we don't need. So, you know, that's again from one who who worries about my clients who are worried about privacy. So let's talk uh, a little and, bit. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, in, in some ways, though, you are what we we call the uh, the sample set of one, uh, which is actually <laughs> reflective of, of many, but. Uh, it's true. There are many people who would uh, upgrade uh, for security things, and that's that's uh, for security features. And we see that play out in the banking world as well. However, one of the uh, challenges that the banking industry faces is that many consumers expect things for free, um, and and so there is this tension um, again, trying to find the, the spot and the segment consumers who will pay extra for extra security features and those who will not participate at all if there's a charge attached to it. So you know, it's always a, a challenge to try to figure out what is it the consumers want and how do you make something that's a premium service that's of value that people would want to pay for it. Yeah. You know, Mark, I remember you used to write these wonderful articles for the San Jose Mercury News. I, I really always appreciated them. Even though I wasn't up there, I would still read them online. And I think the problem that I see is that people don't understand the ramifications unless they're clearly explicit for them. I know people, even today, they, they don't understand why I would never have a debit card, for example. They just don't get it until I start to explain to them or they've had a friend that it happened to them. So the same thing with these apps. You, you know, you have these young people who download all these apps. They don't understand the ramifications, so they, of course, would not pay extra for something that's going to protect them unless they first understand it. Like, what, what's there to worry about? Who cares? You know, I think that's the dilemma is they just don't know what what the value is of, of you know, paying for something else a little bit more. Well, what you've hit on is the idea of, of the, that challenge of trying to find the balance between security and practicality. Uh, I'm of the opinion that typically people will start out with a new product or a new service with a sense of anxiety until they can figure out how practical it is. And if it's practical, then those security concerns start to go away. But to support what you're saying, too, about the the role of the consumer and and not knowing what they don't know, um, we see that more than half of consumers lack um, antivirus software, which you would think in this day and age would be a prerequisite to turning on a computer, uh, but it actually climbs from 48% of uh, consumers, or to about half of the consumers, rather, to about 68% of those who are 18 to 24. Um, 
and uh, it's it's even a problem of those who are banking online. So your point is uh, well taken that the consumer plays an important role here in in needing to take some some of these basic safeguards and understand this. Now, in terms of a debit card, I would disagree with you um, on, yes, I acknowledge that there's a risk to using a debit card. There's a risk that somebody could uh, abuse your credit card. But Now, credit me, card I'm not worried about because I'm covered by the Fair Credit Billing Act. Anything that's on my credit card, all I have to do is call my, you know, within 60 days, I have to tell my credit card company, and I will never be held responsible for any fraud whereas the debit card, the money is siphoned out of that checking account before you can even say lickety-split. So then you have to yep. go through so much work to get that money back. I can tell you that. Well, if you're, if you're making a decision based on fraud risk, then I can understand where you're coming from. But I'm also coming at it from the perspective of personal finance and what's best for a consumer trying to manage their money. I'm of the, the realm that I prefer uh, if more people would uh, pay attention to the money they have available today and avoid using credit except if they are very good with credit, can repay it, and can keep track of how much they owe and don't work themselves into a hole. So yes, there's yes. A, yeah. uh, that's another one of the tensions that's out there in terms of why people use the debit card. It's because for many people what they want is a uh, a way of paying bills and paying for things um, like an envelope system. I want to pay it out of my checking account. I want to pay it out of this account because this is where I know how much money I have. Well, if I what put do you it think, on that Mark? credit card, yeah. I lose track of that. But what about this, Mark? What about a prepaid credit card? Um, that's what I'm recommending because it builds your score. If people only have a debit card and they don't have credit cards, they aren't building their credit score. They're not getting credit. So I have couples right now, I have a couple that went through some hard times and filed bankruptcy and they, I've told them to get um, prepaid credit cards, and they have rebuilt their credit, and now they can get regular credit cards, and they're very uh, careful with it. So even my daughter, who went through so much with her debit card, oh my gosh, she saw all sorts of fraud on there, and so what she ended up doing, and plus all of the, the charges, she ended up getting prepaid, regular credit card and prepaid credit cards. So then they can manage their money a little bit better. There's, we actually see prepaid cards having a, a very particular role. They have a growing role. They're the fastest growing type of payment right now. Yeah. Um, and, and they're, they're particularly of uh, interest uh, for the underbanked and, and the unbanked, people who aren't, don't have traditional banking relationships. In some cases, they can be a replacement for the checking account. They do come with fees, so you've got to be thinking about the, the right, fee issue. Right. Um, and they don't tend to uh, provide the degree of control for what I want uh, and what I think many consumers want in terms of the personal finance management tools, um, in terms of paying bills and bill pay, uh, and in terms of monitoring where your money is going. The, the, the tools aren't there yet for the monitoring and the management of money the way I would like to see, the way I envision it. But yeah, I agree with you, yeah. it's an option. And, you know, I, I use online banking and credit cards. So I believe in having a checking account and using online banking and paying for my paying my bills that way. So I agree with you on that. And I think you could do online banking and then prepaid credit cards. And just just because I hear from people all the time and I just uh, think that that's it's, it's real hard on them, too. But we are just about out of time. So would you give your uh, website again, Mark? And we just think that you're a wonderful director of uh, multi-channel financial services. 
Sure. Uh, if people are interested in more information or to read our blog, it's at javelinstrategy.com. Okay. And we will talk to you again soon. Thank you so much for joining us. All right. Thank you. Bye-bye. You've been listening Bye-bye. to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org and the net. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. And visit our website at KUCI.org slash privacy piracy. Thanks. Stay private. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.